You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, Episode 16. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. Hey guys, I am so excited about today's podcast. This is going to be life-changing for some of you. So often after cancer treatment, sex is problematic. There are issues on so many fronts, and people begin to believe they are permanently broken or that this is just what they have to live with. I want you to know, first and foremost, that we can work on most issues. They can get better. If you are thinking there is no fixing them, you're stuck in that reality. You're not looking for solutions, not trying to see what works and what doesn't. So first, let's go into this with the thought of things can change. They can get better. After cancer treatment, sexual issues can be from many things. They can be due to functional issues from surgery or radiation. For instance, with pelvic tumors like rectal, prostate, cervical, or uterine cancer, surgery and radiation can lead to vaginal dryness, narrowing, and pain in women, and erectile issues in men. Hormonal therapies, which are commonly used in breast and prostate cancer, can cause vaginal dryness and desire issues in women, and erectile dysfunction in men. In our brains, changes in our body image can lead to thoughts about one's appearance our sexiness or beauty, and our desirability. Two notable examples of this are colostomies and mastectomies. We project our thoughts about our bodies and ourselves onto our partners. We get so wrapped up in our thoughts, it prevents desire and impacts our connection. Today, we have urologist and life coach, Dr. Kelly Kasperson, here to talk about all of this. I am also doing a Facebook Live talking more about the brain aspect of this on Saturday on the Facebook page and it will be archived in videos. Enjoy. Hey, my best lifers. I am so excited. Today we have a female urologist on the podcast. Her name is Dr. Kelly Casperson. She lives in Washington State, and she has the, an awesome new podcast called You Are Not Broken. Kelly, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, so I'm a urologist and I talk about pelvises all the time. And I started just noticing I was repeating myself on basic sex 101 all the time. And I was like, I'm not making a big enough difference just seeing people one-on-one -on -one in my town. So I needed to start a podcast. <laughs> so it's basically, I mean, I just kept hearing like over and over women just came in and just not knowing anything about sex thought that they were broken. And so I just kept repeating like, hey, you're not broken. Your labia is normal. Oh, this experience is normal. You're not broken. So I'm like, I think that's the name of my podcast. So I've been doing it now for about eight months. And uh, it's super fun, super fulfilling. Plus, I get to meet really cool people like you and interview them and just like meet all the cool people in the world. So I love it. That's so cool. I love it. It's such a great resource for patients. I think it's so nice that they can do it in the privacy of their own home and not have to sit there and look you in the eye and still get all the information. So awesome for them. Totally. Podcasts are actually, I don't know if you think this, but one of the things that they think podcasts are getting really big is because they're so intimate. 
right? Like you're taking this person in your car with you or you're listening to this person in your kitchen. So it's like a really intimate experience anyways. And I talk about sex, so double intimacy. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things that, you know, sex is such a cha- such a charged topic in life. And I think it really is great for them to be able to answer their questions and hear your perspective without sitting in your office. I think that a lot of people are much more comfortable getting the information in that, in that way. Yeah. I think there's something, you know, doctors are super intimidating to people. Right. And which I I don't understand because I'm a doctor and I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a daughter, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a doctor. But I think when you get to listen to somebody on a podcast, you realize that, you know, they always say like, you just sound like a friend who knows a lot about sex. And I'm like, great. That's my goal. We all need a friend like you. You just need a friend who's a sexpert. So I wanted to talk today about how, about sex after cancer and how a cancer diagnosis affects people in terms of their sex drive, their satisfaction with sex. So what are your thoughts about how sexuality relates to our thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's everything. I always say the biggest sex organ is the brain. And subconsciously, we get fed rules about sex from a very early age, and we don't even pay attention to that. We might not even pay attention to it until sex has gone wrong, or, or now we're kind of confronted with sex not being as natural as it used to be. So what our brain tells us about pleasure and what our brain tells us about what's right or what's normal really affects our sexuality, our desire for sex. So I think there certainly are after cancer, there's hormone changes, surgery changes, scarring. There's a lot of body issues that need to be addressed, but also the mind and kind of what we think the rules are about sex. Um, Certainly we can't ignore the biggest sex organ. Definitely. When you have someone coming to you and they're having issues with their relationship with their spouse, do you recommend that they work on the physical aspect of it first, any challenges that are coming from the physical, or do you work on their thought process about it first, or do you recommend that they sort of attack both at the same time? I do both at the same time, and that's that's only after like years of trying the other way first. <laughs> so I have experience in this. So like, well, let's tackle one problem at a time. But I realize that people get more frustrated if you do like, okay, well, this is fixed, but now I still have a problem because I didn't address this. If you address everything at the same time, you're going to see progress happen way faster. So I work on, just as a urologist, I work on the body, the pelvis. I work on pain. Certainly, if you have pain in the pelvis or pain with sex, don't go looking for your desire. I know where it is. It's completely gone because humans don't desire things that are painful. Right, so we have to fix the pain before we can even wonder what happened to the desire. And at the same time, I'll see women and they'll, she'll, I saw a woman and she's like, well, I, I have low sexual desire. And it turns out her and her partner were in couples counseling because their, their relationship was really on the rocks for other reason. And I'm like, that's just your body telling you you're not desiring somebody you're arguing with. So you have to work on all the pieces because if you just if i was to just think of her as a woman with low sexual desire and not dealing with relationships and kind of her house she was living in i was going to miss the mark on that so i think i always when i meet somebody i'm focusing on their pelvis and pain i'm thinking about a sex therapist getting them in right away to talk about again the brain the relationships 
things that are limiting them from exploring new things, and then a physical therapist also for pain and mobility issues. So I, I tell people it's like a three-legged stool, and it's like if one of those is missing, the stool's going to fall down. I love that. That's so true. You need everything together for, their, for it to work right. You know, if any one part of that is missing, it's just not going to be happening in a, at least not happening in a pleasurable way. What are some of the first or easiest steps you think that patients after a cancer diagnosis can take to start to work on their sex life? Yeah, so certainly if there's any pain there, uh, getting a, a trained professional to help with pain and to try to troubleshoot that, because again, if you just keep trying to hit against the wall of pain, you're not going to get very far. Um, and then just really kind of working on getting back in your body, because there's a lot of body image issues with a cancer diagnosis. And if you're constantly struggling against my body isn't sexy or I'm not desirable or now I'm less feminine or less manly, sex is not going to become as natural. So kind of paying attention to those thoughts that are coming in and, and sometimes getting somebody to help you work with those thoughts. Um, and then just working on being present with your spouse and realizing that mutual orgasm is not the automatic goal right away. You might have to learn new ways of doing things. I always tell people what worked for us when we were 18 might not work for us when we're 56. We really might have to learn different ways or things might take longer and that's perfectly okay. One of the things that you and I talked about um, earlier today when we were chatting is about good lubrication. And I think that's one of those things that for just about every type of cancer is a challenge because the medications with breast cancer can cause vaginal dryness. Any type of pelvic radiation can cause vaginal dryness. So what are your thoughts on lube? Oh, lube for everybody. It's a, like a, <laughs> a billion, million dollar industry. There's so many companies vying for your attention with lube. And I, that was one of the main reasons that I started a podcast is in one week, I had two women come to my clinic for pain with sex and they, neither one of them had even tried lube. And you think, oh, well, these are, you know, maybe these are just older women and they didn't get taught it because they're like 65. One of these women, she was 23 and her boyfriend told her that she shouldn't need lube. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you to break up with that dude, but he doesn't know everything. <laughs> so right. and I was like, oh my gosh, women don't even know that l using lube is normal. They actually did a study. 80% of Americans admit to using lube, which probably means 20% just didn't admit to it. Um, but certainly there's something called arousal desire mismatch. You're, you can be interested in having sex and your vagina and vulva just might not be well enough lubricated. Doesn't mean you're not interested. Doesn't mean anything except for you just might need to help it out a little bit. Um, so just kind of, ed again, educating women of like, our body doesn't always respond how we need it to, and we ultimately want to be comfortable. Friction is good for sex, but too much friction is painful. And so, especially in women that are perimenopausal, postmenopausal, a lubrication that is either silicone-based or oil-based doesn't get absorbed into thirsty, dry skin as much as a water-based lube does. So a, a silicone lube is kind of like the Cadillac Premier of lubes. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's still, it's lube. It's not that expensive. And if it helps things glide and makes things more comfortable and last longer than a water-based uh, lubrication does, it's great. If a woman is, um, if, if she's perimenopausal, postmenopausal, vaginal estrogen is amazing for sex. It keeps the skin 
youthful, nice and thick and resilient. Um, and the risk with vaginal estrogen is very low. That's a hormone, so that's a prescription. You're gonna need to get that from a doctor. So you can always talk to them if it's right for you. But especially about 10 years after menopause, I really start to see what we call genital urinary symptoms of menopause, which is you actually lose your inner labia um, the labia majora becomes atrophied, you lose your hair, the vagina gets smaller. So really preserving those tissues. And I tell women, it's just like sunscreen, right? Like we can go out in the sun or we can do stuff that keeps our skin youthful, protected, safe. That's what vaginal estrogen does. And it comes in pills, it comes in creams, it comes in rings. And now it's actually pretty generic and cheap. So it's, it's not as much of a prohibitive cost wise as it has been in the years past. I think that that's one of those things that, you know, has to get run by the medical oncologist because we do actually have some concerns if they're about the absorption in hormone positive breast cancers. So mm -hmm. what my experience has been is that often they will approve short term use, which for many people is enough, not daily use, not for the whole, their whole life, but when there's issues, use it for a period of time then stop again. And then, you know, they, they'll have them use it sort of in waves when they start having urinary tract infections or the symptoms you were describing, they'll have them use it for a period of time. Things will get better. Then they'll have them stop it just to reduce the hormones that are going into their systems. Yep, absolutely. And I always tell my women with a history of breast cancer that they want, they should talk to their oncologist if it's right for them more and more. And again, this is all individualized, but if it's been years since a breast cancer diagnosis, certainly they're going to think it's a lot safer. If somebody's actively on a medication for breast cancer, we use non-hormonal alternatives. Coconut oil suppositories with vitamin E is lovely. And the laser therapy, which actually rebuilds collagen and vasculature in the vulva and the vagina, is kind of has like a niche for breast cancer survivors because it is a good non-hormonal way to get that skin soft and, and less sensitive to touch. I'm so glad you were able to tell us a little bit about that. Anything else you think we should talk about when it comes to sex and cancer patients? Anything I've missed? I think desire is really important to talk about because I think a lot of women, they kind of stop having sex because they're waiting for desire to show up, right? And they keep like looking around for desire, like it's this lost kitten. And if they just found the desire, then they would have permission to have sex. And that's, that's not what the data actually tells us about female sexual response. So, but our society says, well, you've lost your desire. I guess no more sex for you. And women believe that, but that's not in the female model of sexuality. Desire doesn't actually come first. And in some models, desire is not even present. So a lot of women can, in desire, a lot of women can start having sex. They're with their partner and they're like, oh, that kind of feels good. Oh, okay, well, let's go, you know, let's go maybe just be naked together for a little bit. And then the desire actually comes because of the arousal. And so that's really important for women because here they go thinking like, well, if I only had spontaneous desire, I'd have a sex life. And that's not how it works at all. So you are not broken if you have, if you have low desire. It's actually uh, incredibly common. So I know that you have a program opening up soon to help women in this um, in this arena. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I started again, you know, coming from like America does a really bad job of teaching sex education, right? Is kind of where it came from. And all these women being like, oh my gosh, if I had just known that my first marriage would have been so much better. 
And so I kind of combined sex education, anatomy, physiology, female sexual response. I combined that with coaching because I think you need the knowledge, but you also need to work on what your limiting beliefs are to get you where you want to be. And I think a lot of women give away their power when it comes to sexuality of being like, well, he gives me the orgasm. No, he doesn't give you the orgasm. You give yourself an orgasm. He gets the opportunity to, to be there with you and to help you along. So it's kind of all of that coaching into your limiting beliefs and how to, how to work on your sexuality so that you're back in control and you have the best time because ultimately sex is play and sex is pleasure. So all women deserve that. I love it. Where the can people who are interested in this find you? Yeah, so the podcast is You Are Not Broken, and the website is kellycaspersonmd.com. That's where my classes are. I also have a Facebook page at You Aren't Broken, um, and then on Instagram, again, kellycaspersonmd. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks so much. It was fun. Hey, my best lifers, such good information today. I'd like to offer some resources to you. If the issue is changes in body image, this clearly gets better with mind work and coaching. I am launching my first group program this fall. It will be a two-month program helping people accept and then love their new bodies. How to feel open to intimacy if you are looking for that. Space is limited, so if you are interested, sign up on the Best Life After Cancer website for information as it is released. If you are a woman and having pelvic pain, if you do not have a vaginal dilator, speak with your surgeon or radiation oncologist. Discuss with your team where there is a dedicated pelvic physical therapy person or program and make an appointment. If the issue is erectile dysfunction, find a urologist and discuss your options. This may be medication to improve the quality of your erections or a penile prosthesis. In terms of vaginal dryness, a good silicone-based lubricant is UberLube and is available on Amazon. I give samples of this to my patients. For more information, definitely check out Dr. Kasperson's podcast, You Are Not Broken. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.